Amen. So, Father, we do ask that you just bless this time in the study of your word. And I pray that we would be attentive because we come in perhaps uh, on Wednesday in the middle of the week and we're tired. We uh, Some perhaps haven't even been at home yet and had dinner. But as we feed upon the word of God, I pray for nourishment and refreshment and instruction. And, and Lord, uh, that we would be teachable right now. Help us be attentive uh, to the things that we're going to be reading as we move into chapter 5 of Jeremiah. This is for us today. And uh, there's so much that we can learn from. So we just give you this time to study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about when we, uh, Travis was talking about the last song that we were singing is, Here's My Heart, Lord. And Jeremiah's talking a lot about the condition of uh, the nation as he's speaking to the house of Judah at a time where their hearts were not right with the Lord. There was religiousness, there was religious activity that was taking place, but it was as chapter 3 said, the Lord said, turn to me with your heart, but you're only turning to me in pretense. In other words, you're going through the rituals, you're going through religiousness, and God doesn't want just uh, religious rituals and, and things like that. He wants our hearts truly. And one of the things that David wrote in the Psalms, which I think is a good prayer, is, Lord, search my heart and and test me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. In other words, David, who was the one who had a heart after God, he was one that uh, would uh, say, Lord, try my heart, test my heart. And that's something that I think that is very important for us as Christians to every day to humble ourselves and to say, Lord, here's my heart. Uh, is there anything in my heart that is not right? Because Christ dwells in our hearts. Is he comfortable there? Or are there things on, uh, as you read that word dwell, it means to make uh, yourself at home uh, is literally what you, uh, as you read the definition in the Greek. And as the Lord is dwelling in our hearts, are there anything on the walls of our heart that would make him very uncomfortable. There's any attitude, sin, carnality. And so we want to be ones that we constantly and consistently, even daily, are saying, Lord, here's my heart. Because things begin to come into our hearts, they begin to grip our hearts and captivate our hearts that are not pleasing to the Lord. And if it goes unchecked, we go down the road, we journey for a while, and we don't even realize how far we are uh, from the Lord. So here is Jeremiah, he's calling the people back, uh, the Lord is, through Jeremiah, to come back to, to give their hearts to him, uh, to worship him, to forsake those idols. And that's what we're going to continue to see. But one of the things also is on Sunday, as we see the last charge of Paul given to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, that he says, preach the word, Timothy. And, and what that means is proclaim the word. It, it, you are a representative of the king. You are to proclaim the truth of God's word. Timothy, you are to preach the word. And, and as you do, be ready in season and out of season, convict and rebuke and exhort. And he says something very important that really just kind of captured me this week that I didn't really think about uh, a whole lot going through this text before. But he says, with long suffering and teaching. And long-suffering, that, that can be a difficult word for us. Short-suffering is hard enough, right? But long-suffering, and it's a word that 
we know that Jeremiah, he was doing for 40 years with long suffering, given the word. He's the weeping prophet. He's given the warnings of the Lord to a nation that is dying. And you see, Isaiah did the same thing. He wept as well as he gave a message of if you don't turn to the Lord, judgment is going to come. And yet they refused to turn to him. Long suffering for 40 years was Isaiah and his message to the house of Israel. He would see Israel, the 10 northern tribes, go off into captivity. And you recall that the Lord said that you should have, Judah, learned from your sister Israel. But you didn't. You saw what happened to them. And you're going down the same road. And Jeremiah is weeping in the message that he gives. And I know that as you and I, in the day in which we are living in, as we give the truth, proclaim the truth of God's word to our children and to family members and to friends and to others that are linked to us in our lives, to coworkers, whoever it might be, there's long suffering involved in it because we do it day after day and week after week and month after month and even year after year. And you keep giving the truth of God's word to others. And there's going to be that time where you have to do it in long suffering. That I keep giving the word to my children who are going off into the world and, and leaving the faith or, or backsliding. To those that we care about with long suffering, continuing to give them the truth of God's word, the gospel message, praying for them. We do it with long suffering. But we're exhorted to do that. It's a charge given to us. So here's Jeremiah as he continues here ministering to a nation that is not right with God. And so in chapter 5 of Jeremiah, we read, Run to and fro the streets of Jerusalem. Uh, see now and know and, and seek in her open places. If you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seek the truth, and I will ponder her, uh, pardon her, that is, though they say as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. And so Jeremiah, as you go throughout the streets of Jerusalem and, and see if there's a person that is honest and truthful, look for one person who will just seek the truth of God so that the Lord may pardon them. And notice here that they say, as the Lord lives. Again, uh, as they're swearing falsely. They had these little, you know, religious saying, as the Lord lives. And, and, but their hearts were not right with the Lord. And we will see that as we continue through the chapter and move into chapter 6. You know, they, they said, as the Lord lives. And they would say, the temple, the temple, and all these other things. This religious talk. Even as today, people can say, amen. They can say, praise the Lord. Sometimes you hear politicians say, God bless America. And you're wondering, uh, do you even believe in God? And, and so we have these sayings, but where are our hearts? And Jeremiah, look for that one that is honest and truthful and has a heart for you. And, and uh, he, he's showing the condition of the nation that it's, it's going to be hard to find anyone. In verse 3, as we continue, O Lord, are you not your eyes on the truth? Have you have stricken them, uh, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. Uh, as your eyes are on the truth, Lord, 
It reminds me in Second Chronicles chapter 16 when Asa, Asa was the king of Judah that started out well, but then he rebelled against the Lord. And the prophet came to Asa and brought correction and rebuke to him. And Asa rebelled. But then Asa said something, uh, or the prophet said something to Asa and said, Asa, listen, the Lord, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. Jeremiah could go through the streets and he couldn't find anyone who had a heart for the Lord. But the Lord knows who are his. And the word of the Lord today is his eyes still go to and fro across the whole earth to, you know, show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal towards him. And I know that he's looking for those who desire to grow in the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ to please him, to be used of him. And his eyes are on you as he desires to work in your life. He's looking for those who are going to give the truth of his word and the gospel to others. That is so needed today. And here is, as Jeremiah is talking about, that your eyes are on the truth. And they have made their faces, as you read the end of verse 3, harder than rock. They refuse to return. God has tried to bring them out of their spiritual disobedience, but they refuse to hear the prophets. They refused to hear God's warning. And the chastening of the Lord only made them more defiant. They should have been grieving over their sin. They should have received God's correction. But they became hard and they refused to turn to the Lord. And I know it's hard for us. Maybe that, that you had a child that you tried to discipline and they just were defiant. It breaks our heart as a parent, isn't it? Maybe you're a boss or a supervisor or, or maybe you own a business. You had an employee, somebody working for you. And all of a sudden you, you saw as you brought correction to them and, and tried to work with them, they became hard and defiant. Uh, maybe you're a teacher, a student that has done that or a coach with somebody that you're coaching. And it, it's hard, isn't it? It breaks our heart. How much more it breaks a, the heart of the father who desires for us, his children, to humble themselves and to experience that abundant life that he has for us as we walk with him, as we walk in obedience, because there is joy, there is blessing, there is benefit, there is freedom in that. And that's what Jeremiah is going to mention. That's what the message the Lord's going to be to them. Listen, you're not going to have any security. You're not going to have any blessing because you have walked away from me and you've walked away from my ways. You've hardened yourself, and, and here you have made their faces harder than rock. You know, you just, just picture, you know, that defiant person that perhaps that, that you're trying to, to, to work with and, and bring correction to, and, and you can just tell the countenance of their face. And in verse 4 we read, Therefore I said, Surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord and the judgment of their God. I will go to uh, the great men and speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord, the, the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Uh, therefore, verse 6, a lion from the forest shall slay them, and a wolf of the deserts shall destroy them. And a leopard will watch over their cities. Everyone who goes out from there shall be torn in pieces, because their transgressions are many, and their backslidings have increased. So Jeremiah thought, well, surely I'll, I'll go to 
you know, uh, amongst the poor. Uh, and he was thinking uh, maybe they're foolish. They don't know any better and know the way of the Lord. Um, he would kind of like he's coming up with an excuse for them. But as he went to the leaders, he said that they also don't know the way of the Lord. Uh, they have rebelled against the Lord. Uh, they were the ones that surely would know God's commandments, but they turned away from them. So God is going to allow the invaders to come in like a lion, like a wolf. And you see, for us, we are told that Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, is what Peter writes in his first epistle. And he wants to pounce on us if we go into his territory, if we allow foothold of him to get into our lives. And as we know, a lion out there in the wilderness will pounce on those who come near him. Uh, he will seek them out. Uh, he will plan. He will plot. Uh, and he will seek to come against so he can have a meal. And the enemy's like that. He's watching. He's, he's plotting. He's looking for you to, to get closer, to not be watching, to be sleepy. To be lethargic, complacent. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We know that the wolf is an analogy that's used in the New Testament as well. Remember that Paul, when he was writing to, uh, or when he was speaking to the Ephesian elders there in Acts chapter 20, that he said that, that I warned you, don't you remember day and night for two years that savage wolves are going to come in and not sparing the flock, but raising up uh, disciples after themselves, speaking perverse things uh, like a wolf who devours. They're going to be pulling people into, you know, a place where, where they can devour them and speaking perverse things to them. And so this is what's going to happen. You're going to be devoured. The invaders are going to come in, which would be Babylon, uh, that is going to take place. And then in verse 7, how shall I pardon you for this? Your children have forsaken me and sworn by those that are not gods. When I had fed them to the full, when they had committed adultery, they assembled themselves by the troops in the harlot's houses. They were like well-fed, lusty stallions, everyone nay after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? And shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? So there was great immorality that was taking place. And we read these verses, and God asked three questions. He said, how is it that I shall pardon you for this? Uh, and second of all, shall I not punish them for these things? And then thirdly, shall I avenge myself? We know that God had made a covenant there at Mount Sinai with uh, the children of Israel. He said, if you follow after me, then I will bless you. And, and if you don't, if you are in disobedience and forsake me and go after other gods then what you're going to see is, is there's going to be consequences and there's going to be difficulty. And eventually it's going to lead to captivity. And you can read about that as you read the book of Deuteronomy. And here they were, forsaking the Lord. They wouldn't turn back. And there was all kinds of sin, immorality. Uh, there was uh, false worship and uh, things like that going on. And we read in verse 10, Go up on her walls and destroy, but do not make a complete end. Make a, take away her branches, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously with me, says the Lord. 
And they have lied about the Lord and said, Is it not he? Neither will evil come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine, and the prophets become wind. For the word is not in them, thus shall it be done to them. Interesting verses. God was doing everything that he could to get them to return to, to, to him. Sending the prophets. There would be locust infestations. He would stop the rain. They would find themselves in bondage, uh, you know, being full of fear when there was danger. But here at this point, externally, things look pretty good. And there was economic prosperity. Things were good in the land. Um, all these other things that were taking place. We're going to see that there was prosperity mentality that was taking place at this time that Jeremiah is speaking these words. And as we read this, we read these things. And, and um, you know, they were ungrateful uh, as we read these verses. Um, they were ones that God had fed them to the full. And he had supplied them with all their needs. Uh, they, and they would use his goodness and blessing to go out and commit sin and serve their idols. They were like, as, as verse you know, uh, 8 and 9 tells us, they were like you know, uh, stallions that are in heat, animals in heat. Sometimes when, when blessing comes and listen. The Lord desires to bless us. Every good gift comes from above. And if we are blessed, and, and I'm talking more than just financial blessing, but we're blessed. We, we, we're, things are going good, and, and things are going good in relationships and, and all this. What can happen, the tendency can be, is that we forget about the goodness of the Lord. And a real key for us as Christians is we need to always be thankful Never take for granted the blessings that the Lord has given to you. Never take it for granted. And you see, what happens is, is that we can take it for granted. And, and we, it, you know, the, the blessing, the, any kind of prosperity causes people to stop trusting the Lord. And he doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to look to him, to be thankful to him, to be good stewards of what he has blessed us with. He always wants us to, to, to look to him to provide and, and to always, always listen. A key for you and me is always be thankful. So he's trying to get them to, to come back and, and they were saying everything's good. We're not going to be taken off into captivity. We're not going to have the sword come against us. And there was something even that some of the false prophets were saying even after the first wave of captivity had taken place because when we go to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel has the same message. There were those who were saying, well, the temple, the temple, we're not going to be destroyed. Everything's going to be fine. The captivity is only going to last for a couple of years. And it lasted 70 years, just as the Lord said it would. And we know that they, they were trusting in that false hope and that prosperity message. There are people today that think, oh, the Lord, you know, he's not going to bring judgment. He's not going to judge sin. You know, we're all going to be all right. You know, we don't need to talk about that stuff that's going to happen at the end of the age, right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. That, those things aren't going to take place. And we know what God's word says to us, and he desires for us to turn to him. He desires for us to depend on him and to look to him. 
Well, God will never send anybody to hell. That's the mentality of a lot of people. He's a God of love and he just loves everybody. And we know that there is consequences to rejecting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That there's an eternal separation. That hell is real for those who reject him. We know that there's consequences to sin. If we get involved in sin, that we're forgiven, but there will be the consequences of it. So God has done everything for you and for me, so we don't have to go down that road of deception and captivity and destruction. He's given us his word. And he's given them the word, and they refuse to turn to it and believe it. But yet they were given a false hope and false message from the Lord. In verse 14, therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word, behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire and this people would and it shall devour them. Behold, I will bring a nation against you from afar. O house of Israel, says the Lord, it is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Verse 16, their quiver is like an open tomb. They are all mighty men and they shall eat up your harvest and your bread which your sons and daughters should eat they shall eat up your flocks and your herds they shall eat up your vines and your fig trees they shall destroy your fortified cities in which you trust with the sword the judgment of God was going to come and they had rejected him they had listened to the false prophets and you're going to be consumed by Babylon And you're not going to have the blessing and the security that you should have. These are going to be mighty men that are going to come against you. They don't speak your language. You know, they're an ancient nation, but they're a mighty nation. And verse 17, really, they shall eat up your harvest, your bread, which your sons and your daughters should eat. Whenever that we go down, listen... The road of disobedience and sin and carnality and ignoring the Lord and stop being thankful and trusting in ourselves and not trusting in him or trusting in other things. You will lose your security and you will lose the blessing that the Lord has for you. He says, listen, you're going to lose all of that because of your sin and disobedience and not turning to me. He says that, that you shall, they shall eat up your harvest and your bread, which your sons and your daughters should eat. Because here's the thing, and especially for us who are parents or grandparents or any of us, when we sin, it's not just about us. It affects a whole lot of people. It affects our kids. It affects our grandkids, people that love us. And you see, he's saying, listen, you should have had that. I wanted to give that to you. You should have had the harvest, the flocks, the vines to, to, to eat from, the fig trees, fortified cities. All that was provided, but now it's going to go and judgment is going to come because you did not trust in me, because you continued in sin, continued in disobedience, and you're not going to have the security and the blessing and the joy and the peace that I want to give to you. And great is the day, and I hope I articulate this well enough, the Lord loves us so much that he tells us how to live a life that is pleasing to him, but abundant life. In other words, a life of peace and joy and real freedom. 
and assurance and security. It's all walking in the ways of the Lord, walking in righteousness, what is right, and to live life and to experience life the way it's really meant to be lived. And we lose that if we pursue sin. And what happens is we get held captive by the enemy and by the world, by deception, the consequences. And affects a whole lot of people around us. And great is the day when we say finally in our hearts, Lord, that a blessed life is a life living for you and believing your word and trusting in you and being thankful. And my security is in you, Lord. And Lord, here is my heart. And try me, Lord, and test me. Is there pride? Is there self-reliance? Is there anything that is not right, not pleasing to you? And here is, is this message is given, nevertheless, in verse 18, in those days, says the Lord, I will not make a complete end of you. It, this is an expression of God's grace, God's mercy. They were not going to be completely wiped out, but they are going to go in captivity for a while. He says, I'm not going to make a complete end of you. And it will be when you say, why does the Lord your God do all these things to us? Then you shall answer them, just as you have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land. So you shall serve aliens in a land that is not yours. You will end up serving those who worship those gods instead of serving the Lord. You're going to end up serving the Babylonians. You want those foreign gods? You're going to end up being in bondage because of that. Rather than experiencing freedom and security and blessing. Because I promised to give that to you when you followed after me. When you believed on me. How sad it is that what the Lord is saying to them. So wondered that Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. And in verse 20, declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah, saying, Hear this now, O foolish people without understanding, who have eyes and, and see not and have ears and hear not. Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence, who have placed the sand as the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree, that it cannot pass beyond it, and though its waves toss to and fro, yet they cannot prevail, though they roar, and yet they cannot pass over it? Uh, they were being foolish. They had closed their eyes and their ears to the Lord. They had given themselves over to those gods who couldn't hear, who couldn't see, who had no understanding at all. And they had lost their fear of the Lord. They had lost their fear of the Lord. That's something that's not talked a lot about in the church today. The fear of the Lord, you don't hear that term, but it's something that is taught in the scriptures, we know that uh, the scripture says in, in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Even in Psalm, uh, it speaks of that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And that was Judah at this time. And here he's saying, you've lost the fear of me. Now the fear of the Lord is having a reverence for the Lord. To understand that I worship an awesome, all-powerful, almighty God who loves me. His word is true for me. Who has blessed me and provided salvation for me through his son, Jesus Christ. It's just, just 
having that reverence for the Lord, and that can get lost in our lives, and it can get lost in the church today. And, and so here he's reminding them, you've lost that fear, and you've turned to that which can't help you or save you. And in verse 22, as we read it, he, he places boundaries here. He's talking about it, that the perpetual decree cannot pass beyond it, though its waves toss to and fro, they cannot prevail, they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. In other words, I place boundaries for you so you don't get drowned in harm. Just as there's boundaries of the sea, it comes against the shore. It doesn't go any further. And we know that to be true. It brings safety to us. We are not harmed. We should be thankful. The Lord provided that when he created the, the oceans and the land masses. But the Lord does provide boundaries for you and for me. And listen, the boundaries that he provides for us is not that we can have a boring, mundane life. It's that we won't get hurt and drowned and harmed and swept under because the world's like a big undertow trying to suck us in and pull us down to keep our feet on solid ground and the truth of God's word and staying close to him. In verse 23, but this people have a defiant, rebellious heart. They have revolted and departed. Do not say in their hearts, let us now fear the Lord our God, who gives rain both the former and the latter in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these things away, and your sins have withheld good from you. So they were missing out on God's blessing. They weren't thankful. They forgot his provision again that is mentioned here. And your sins have kept blessing from you. And you are reaping corruption. The Lord is saying here he wanted to do so much more for them. He wanted to provide the rain. He wanted to continue to bless them. He, he wanted to do that. You remember, I mentioned this not long ago in one of the teachings, when David sinned with Bathsheba, and Nathan, the prophet, came to David to confront him and said, David, we got a problem in the kingdom. And there's a rich man that took a poor man's uh, sheep and killed it and fed it to his friend. And David was angry. And Nathan said, you're the man, David. You took Uriah's wife. You killed Uriah. You committed adultery. And David said, oh, I have sinned. And he was forgiven of the Lord. But the Lord had a message for David. And David, didn't I spare you from Saul? Didn't I bring you from the sheepfold? Didn't I bring you the nation? And if that wasn't enough, I, I would have done much more. And that's always, you know, kind of resonated with me that the Lord wanted to bless David even more. And David sinned when he was at the height of his power and popularity in the nation. So much so he got comfortable and he stayed at home when he should have been off the battle war with the guys. And that can happen to you and to me. We're experiencing blessing and, and, and things are going good. And all of a sudden, we get complacent. And if we're not careful, then sin can begin to creep in. And, and that's what happened to David. And the Lord is saying, David, I would have wanted to bless you more if that wasn't enough. I think that the Lord continually wants to bless us. He wants to just work in our lives. But we need to each and every day make sure that we're staying in that place close to him. Thanking him for his provision, as I, I've already mentioned, this message that is being uh, told here. To, to understand that, that we need him and to continue to walk with him and to know him. 
and to grow in his word and in his grace. He wants to do so much because his eyes go what? To and fro across the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of whose hearts are loyal towards him. So I think a good question tonight as we take inventory is, where truly is my heart? Is it being pulled out into the world, this undertow? Or Lord, I know that there are boundaries here. If I begin to just get involved in the world and be enamored with the world and focus on the world and prioritize the world, it's going to sweep me under. But I want to be thankful for what you have done in my life and saving me and bringing me into the family of God and I have a relationship with true and I want to live every day in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is not an unhealthy terror of the Lord. It is a respect and a reverence, as I said, of the Lord. And Lord, I don't want to do anything that is going to defile me and that's going to displease you in my actions, my attitudes, and what I do. So here they weren't listening to that. So in verse 26, from among my people are found wicked men. They lie in wait as one who sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so their houses are full of deceit. Therefore they have become great and grown rich. They have grown fat. They are sleek. Yes, they surpass the deeds of the wicked. They do not plead the cause, the cause of the fatherless, yet they prosper. And the right of the needy they do not defend. And shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? And so here they had prospered, but they only thought about themselves. They didn't help those in need. In verse 30, this astonishing and horrible thing has been committed in the land. The prophets prophesied falsely, and the priests ruled by their own power. And my people love to have it so, but what will you do in the end? Again, it reminds me of what Paul is going to say to Timothy in his last words in chapter 4, where the time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap up for themselves teachers after themselves, giving themselves over to myths and fables, and they will have itchy ears. And I'll tell you the truth on this, that there's a lot of itchy ears out there, and there's plenty of people to scratch those itchy ears. There's a lot of false things that come into the church that people want to hear and, and they embrace. And it makes me feel good. Oh, it just, it sounds so good. The prosperity message and all of this and, you know, the best of you and, and all of these messages that are out there. Be careful that you're just not there to get your ears, you know, scratched because you have itchy ears but to really know what the truth of God's word has to say. And, and, you know, here he's warning them. He says, they prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule by their own powers, not under the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives to be able to bless others. But they're doing their own thing, in other words. Be careful. They're not serving God or others in need. They're only into themselves. It was a prosperity mentality. And so he continues in chapter 6. Oh, oh, you children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee from the midst of Jerusalem. Blow the trumpet in Tekoa and set up the signal fire in Beth Hakaram. 
For disaster appears out of the north and great destruction. I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman. The shepherds with their flocks shall come to her. They shall pitch their tents against her all around. Each one sh shall pastor in his own place. And so the Babylonians are coming. The shepherds here and with their flocks shall come to her here. He, he, he says they're going to bring judgment. Uh, here's a signal fire. That was a way to, they had to warn people. Uh, people uh, that were coming. In other words, there was a trumpet blowing. Numbers chapter 10, when you read that, there was two silver trumpets. And they would blow those trumpets for certain messages. And one of the messages were the enemies coming. And then he says here, as we continue reading this, that, you know, he's going to talk about a watchman set in verse 17. But here they um, shall, you know, have this pitch their tents all around, each one pasture his own place. Prepare war against her. Verse 4, arise and let us go at noon. Woe to us, for the day goes away, for the shadow of the evenings are lengthening. Arise and let us go by night and let us destroy her palaces. As we read verses 4 and 5, this battle plan that, that God is, is, is telling them, this is what the Babylonians are going to do. They're going to attack at noon uh, in the hot of the day, but then that attack, it's not going to stop at night. It's going to continue through the night. And verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, said, Cut down the trees, build a mound against Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished. She is full of oppression in her midst. As fountains well up with water, so she wells up with her wickedness. Violence and plundering are heard in her before me continually, are grief and wounds. And be instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from you, lest I make you desolate, a land not inhabited. And thus says the Lord of hosts in verse 9, they shall thoroughly glean as a vine the remnant of Israel. As a grape gatherer, put your hand back to the branches. As this attack's going to come, they're going to cut down the trees. They're going to build an embankment against the walls of the city. Jerusalem was to be a refreshing place. But it's a place now of polluted water, is what we read here. Now, Jerusalem was to be a place of pleasant water, the scripture says. Jerusalem was the place we know that Jesus, that he stood at the temple on the last day of the great feast, and he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink, as he would present living waters to give. And now of your belly innermost will flow torrents of living water. That was God's desire for his people in Isaiah's day and Jesus' day and in our day as well. And as we read the book of Isaiah, it reminds me here that the invitation that the Lord gave to them at that time, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Here and your soul shall live. The Lord was pleading back then some, you know, 60 years, 80 years before this time, come and drink of the waters freely. And, of course, Jesus, we see that he declares himself to breed a bread of life that comes from heaven. And whoever eats of me 
shall never die. I have living bread to give to you. And if you eat of me and drink of me, you will live forever. But he's talking about that close, intimate fellowship with him. He told the woman at the well in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman, that, that you drink of this water, Jacob's well, you will thirst again. But I have living water to give to you. So the question is, where are we going to drink? Are we drinking of the living water that the Lord gives to us that he desires and invites us to come to drink freely of him? Or are we drinking of the, the well of the world? Polluted waters. Here Jer- uh, Jeremiah is saying, you, Jerusalem, as the Lord is speaking through him, that you have polluted waters. And now because of that, you're going to see that the gleaners are going to come over you. Babylon, like over a vineyard, not missing any fruit. They're going to build an embankment around you. They're going to pitch their tents around you. And it's going to be awful. And I had water for you to drink freely, but you refused to come. You refused to come. I think it really sums up what we've been talking about here tonight. Where are you going to drink from? Are you going to the living waters to be refreshed and renewed? To eat of him and drink of him, that that intimate fellowship with him. To know him. To experience the abundant life that he has for you. So the question that I have as we end here, and then we're going to go to prayer, because I think this is a good place to end here, because we're not going to finish the chapter is are you thirsty? Are you thirsty tonight? Maybe you're just not satisfied. Maybe you're just discouraged. Maybe you're just frustrated. Maybe there's an emptiness. And the Lord says to you, come and drink of me. I have living water to give. And as you come and drink of me, out of your innermost are going to flow torrents of living water to be refreshed, to be renewed, to come to him And to know that he desires to bless you. He desires for you to experience joy and peace. It's not just about living for self. Here, these guys were living for themselves. You know, uh, they, they were into themselves. The priests ruled by their own power. They're all trying to get rich and prosperous. And they weren't giving to those. You know how you can have real joy? Joy, J-O-Y, in your life. J-O-Y, Jesus first, others second, you last. Okay? The world kind of flips that. You first. You know, it's all about you. Even the message in the church, the best of you, the champion within you. You know, all this message is, no, Jesus first, others second, you last. Will you remember that? Because if you just live for self and live for the world, you're going to be miserable and you're going to be thirsty and you're going to be hungry and you're going to be empty and you're going to be dissatisfied. Live for Jesus and then live for others. I want to encourage you, serve others. The Lord wants to use you in serving others, to be a blessing to others, whatever that might mean for you and however he's gifted you, opportunity that he has for you. 
you're feeling a little discouraged, a little down, wondering really what is the purpose of life? Live for Jesus, serve others. And then you, you take care of yourself. Take care, take heed to yourself is what Paul would write to Timothy. In other words, take care of yourself spiritually, but Jesus first, serve others. Serve. Give to others, love others, minister to others. Pray about, Lord, how can I get involved? Maybe that I can help out with the kids, or maybe I can help, you know, serve in a coffee shop. Maybe I can serve in the community somewhere. Maybe I can serve at the, you know, like some, so many of you are doing at the, the you know, the homeless shelter uh, as we're feeding them a meal. It might be that you come in and just help in practical ways. Serve others, and it's a great joy. Jesus first, others, and then you, joy, and you'll have joy in your heart. But to any of us, if we just live for ourselves and we stop being thankful, we will end up being dry and we'll begin to drink from polluted waters rather than the living waters that he has for you. Joy. I think we all want joy, don't we? I think we do. I'm sure you do. I don't think anybody's here saying, I want to be miserable. I want to feel empty. You want joy and that peace, real purpose, a manner of life. Timothy, you know that, Paul would write to him from me. Serve others. Give to others. Give yourself to the Lord because it has living water for you, for you to be refreshed. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for these words that are sometimes kind of hard and heavy to read, but, Lord, there's so much here for us to take in and to understand and, Lord, to, to really pray through. So, Father, I do pray that tonight as we end here, I thank you for all those who have come. And, Lord, we want to give our hearts to you. We don't want to just go through the motions and live for ourselves. Or, Lord, we want to live for you. We want to have a heart for you, to drink of the living waters continually, that you have to give free water, refreshing water. Maybe there's the living waters that you've never tasted from. You've never come to Jesus for salvation. I don't want to assume that everyone who's in this building as a personal relationship with Jesus. If you're here, you don't, or you're listening, perhaps, on the live stream or maybe on the radio later, he is your salvation. Jesus went to a cross and died for you because he loves you, to free you from sin, from death, because the wages of sin is death. And he went to that cross and took your sins upon himself, made atonement for your sin, and then he cried out, it is finished. He did the work. He paid the price. And then he was put into a tomb, and he rose again. He proved he's the Son of God that conquers sin and death. And he says, come to me. Believe in me. Call out on me. If you've never done that, he says, I have living water to give to you, to bring salvation to bring forgiveness as you cry out to the Lord and confess you're a sinner in need of the Savior, the Savior. He is the Savior of the world. There's none other. 
He loves you so much. Come to the living waters. And you can pray right where you are. Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I know you died for me and you rose again and you're alive. And I come and ask that you would forgive me of my sins and be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for bringing me to the family of God in this new beginning. And I want to know you and walk with you. Thank you for tonight. For the promise of eternal life. In Jesus' name. And listen, if anybody did pray that prayer, even if you're out in a coffee shop, come in and we're going to close here in a minute. Tell the prayer team that you made that decision. But for all of us, listen. For all of us, may we stay close to the Lord and have a heart for Him. May we be once, just right now, just take a minute and say, Lord, here's my heart. Try me. Search me, Lord. See if there's anything there that, Lord, is not right. They confess that wrong attitudes or maybe the Lord's been dealing with you about something. Maybe you've just been pulled into the undertow of the world. Maybe drinking up polluted waters and the things that you're watching and doing and your behavior, your speech. things in your heart that aren't right. Lord, forgive us. And we thank you that you bring those things up front so we can confess them and you're faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, may we be in that place of safety and security and great joy and peace, the abundant life you have for us as we just walk with you and love you and know you and live a life pleasing to you and desiring to serve others. We do it because we love you. Not just living for ourselves in this world. So Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for what you have spoken to us through your word. I pray you bless everyone here as we go our way. Father, and we would continue on with you. Help us to be a light out there and continue to give truth to others with long-suffering and teaching. So thank you for tonight. Take us all home safely in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he?